Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, hello! Welcome to another edition of the Dangerous Dinners Podcast, episode number nineteen. Oh, strap yourself in for another wild ride through the wild west of takeaways. Good, bad, and ugly. We do them all. Um, so, notes this week. Anything to update you on? Yes, we went top two hundred on Apple Podcasts in America. Huh. We did. We've um. We've done what Robbie Williams never could, and broke America. I feel bad for saying that because I'm quite a big Robbie Williams fan. I actually think he's really cool. So no worries, Robbie. Even though you didn't break America, you uh, you did. You did win with me. So all good. Um, as always, if you've not subscribed to the podcast, please do it. If you've not left a rating and a review, scroll down to the bottom Apple Podcast. Give us a five star rating. And this week, um, and I'm going to say this: better late than never. Um, we are joined by James Newman. Yes, the man who represented the UK at Eurovision this year. So what do we know about James? So not only did he represent Eurovision, uh, which is very exciting, nil point, but we found out about that later. He also is a very successful songwriter in the UK, writing with Calvin Harris, writing with Rudimental. He's brothers with John Newman. The guy's a bloody legend. And also, there's a lot of... We have a lot of similar vibes, me and James. He is a beardy bloke who likes his food and likes his wine. So... Disclaimer, this is quite a drunken episode, so apologies in advance. Strap yourself in, it's James Newman time. The Dangerous Dinners Podcast with your host, Tom Green. One celebrity guest, one spin of the roulette wheel, and a tour of the best and worst takeaways, which are delivering to us tonight. What will it land on? We let fate decide. Up for grabs today, we have the poorly reviewed Kansas Fried Chicken, everybody's favorite, Lahore Karahi, and if it all goes wrong, Pizza Palace. But before we do that, it's time to meet our celebrity guest. They're famous, they're funny, and they just arrived downstairs. It's time to bring them up. Please welcome. It's James Newman! Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Very, very good. Very excited for this. This is a pleasure and a joy. And thank you for doing this also on the night that England are playing. I know. I mean, I'm not really a massive football guy, but I've really got Euro fever now. Like, I've really got into football. And yeah. Like, you know, it's kind of like, I just can't wait to see it. I don't know why. Are you watching every game regardless of the country? Or are you just like big into the England games? No, I've been watching every game. I watched Denmark last night because my brother's wife is Danish. So I was like, I've got an affiliation with them a little bit. Sure. Just kind of putting it on. It's like nice to be part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Watch it all. So, I've yeah. really got into it this time round. And when, by the time this goes out, because this is now Thursday, if people are listening on release day, they'll already know what happens in tonight's game against Croatia. Oh yeah, they'll know. They'll know that they'll know what went on. Because it's like all the home nations mm. are in this year. Oh, yeah. I'm really behind Wales, man. I, yeah, I was like, oh, Wales are in. That's great. It's yeah. great news, isn't it? And, and Scotland as well. Like watching, it. I was kind of more rooting for Scotland the other day than... Really? I've got like heart, my, my stepsister's Scottish, so... Right. I've got a bit of a connection there as well. It was such a boring game, though, let's be honest. Yeah. Do you think it's coming home? I think I should probably ask, <laughs> is it coming home? <laughs> Uh, I think that's what everyone always says, and it? it's coming home. It's yeah. coming home, guys. I feel like you know, there's, we've got a good team, haven't we? I think. <laughs> I don't know. This is the thing. this is like listening to the blind leading the blind. Oh, no, you're here, totally isn't it? asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really would. 
the 2018 World Cup, mm. which was three years ago now, which was that hot summer yeah. where it was Gareth Southgate's first year as manager and we got really far. Those days were just unreal. I went to, Joe, when you see like the videos of the box park in like London and, and Shoreditch. Like throwing beers. I was there. Yeah, like I was, I was part of it. Yeah, that's 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 a vibe. And um, I feel like I have to bring this up at this point as well. This is the second time we tried to do this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, James. Let's just let's just let's just look at the elephant in the corner of the room. I was and you know, we've had a lot of delayed guests. Yeah, we've had a lot of guests push it back by an hour. You know, not saying anything but Dame Baptiste, but it's right. fine. They were all there. Okay. We've never had a cancel on the day. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, James. What the hell, man? <laughs> it was my first night out after Eurovision. Yeah. And I was like, I went out for dinner with my friends and got a bit carried away. And I was like, I'll be fine. I was really looking forward to it. Obviously, you know, it's like a dream podcast today. And then I woke up and I was like, oh no, maybe I'm not going to be fine. So I'm sorry, but I'm here now and I can't apologize enough. Now, two things. One, what I liked is that me and Em know Ian and he texted us on the night. Yeah. I said, there's not a chance James is going to be there for this podcast. Mm. One, that's funny. (laughs) Two... At what point did you tell your manager you weren't going to do it? Did you do the thing that I've never had to do, but my mates have done loads, is that did you text him at about six in the morning when you were still on the night out going, I don't think this is going to work today? I'm not, I can't lie to you. It was about that time, probably. <laughs> I'm glad that's true because I'd rather you didn't lie. And I'm almost, almost proud of you that you did that. <laughs> um, well, welcome to the Dangerous Dinners podcast, uh, James Newman. It's a pleasure to have you. I've written an introduction for you. Go on. Would you like to hear it? I'd love to hear it, yeah. Okay. James Bloody Newman. <laughs> I think we can say this as we're friends. James is one of, if not the, most successful male writer in the UK music industry. Everyone wants to get in a room with this bloke. And tonight, he's in our kitchen. The man behind tunes from Rudimental, Calvin Harris, Jess Glynn, Little Mix, Louis Tomlinson, Zayn Malik, Sagala, to name but a few. Not only that, he was the UK's Eurovision entry for 2021. He's a straight up G. It's James Newman. <laughs> That's great. Can I have that from a bio? <laughs> There's a lot of managers that are too lazy to write stuff like that. That was amazing. I love that. Thank you. Um, all true, though, right? I've not got any of that wrong. No, that was all true, yeah. Louis Tomlinson and Zayn Malik. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, great. Um, Louis is awesome. I, I didn't actually write with Zayn. I just wrote a song that he worked on. We worked on it, like, remotely. But um, sure. it's such a good feeling to be part of, you know, those amazingly successful people. And then, you know, you write a song for them, then you hear it on the radio and you're like, oh my God, I was involved in that. So yeah, it's a really nice feeling. I'm going to ask it. We are going to come back to your, to your writing, but I will just start with out of that list of people, who's your favorite to be in the room with? That's a big question. I don't want to single anyone out. I suppose probably, well, rudimental are the people that I started my career with. Yeah. And they're like, you know, my best mates. Not that everyone, I've got a lot of best mates in the music industry, but, you know, like Piers and, and Amir and, and Kezi and, and Leon, we all started kind of together, like my brother as well. You know, we always hang out and we always have parties and stuff, so those guys, I imagine. We should probably reference this, because we've actually not referenced it. Your brother's John Newman. I, yeah, I'm John Newman's brother, unfortunately. No, d- hey, not, not, no, you are not. <laughs> no, you are not the better-looking brother. My brother-in-law texts... John on his birthday the other day and said, happy birthday, James Newman's brother. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, finally. I got it. I got it. <laughs> we'll come back to the writing because yeah. I've got a lot to talk about and I really want to focus on it because that's how I that's how I heard about you first was before Eurovision, before all that, was just one of the UK's best writers. Thank you. So, welcome to the Dangerous Dinners podcast. Next to me and you is a roulette wheel of the best and worst takeaways which are delivering to us tonight. I kind of, I don't really know if there is a best and worst takeaway. To me, they're all, you can't go wrong. They're all good, right? Yeah, I think so. So on the list, we've got like hot curries, kebabs, pizzas, low-rated Indian, fish and chips. There's a lot of good stuff up there, man. Yeah, really fun. Do you want to go and spin the wheel? Yeah. <laughs> All right.
Alrighty then. He landed on kebab. That is not a fix either. That actually, that actually happened then. Are you a kebab fan? <sighs> Am I a kebab fan? Who isn't, right? I know. This is a this is a good excuse for me to have a kebab without getting told off by just, my wife. Just the missus have a go at you for it. So, I mean, I got kind of. I've got a limit now of kebabs that I'm allowed to eat, which I think is fair enough. <laughs> I think every, most people, most people, not me and you, self-impose a limit. But people like me and you have to have a limit imposed. Yeah, on you us. have to be told that's enough kebabs now. <laughs> <laughs> now I've done this quite a few times, yeah, and people judge me for this. Um, do you do a sober doner kebab? I feel like you know me so well. <laughs> yeah, at what time are we talking? Though? Like lunchtime? Sober kebab. Have you? I wish I could say no. <laughs> it's a yes, right? Yeah, I've done a sober, like, early afternoon kebab before. God, they're good, aren't they? Sometimes, you know, like, I, I think food is comforting, and sometimes you just need that, that yeah. afternoon sober kebab. Donna, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I found a kebab shop down the road. Um, What's it called? This will be beeped out for the podcast, but it's called... I think I know it. Do you actually? <laughs> Don't forget, I live just down the road. So you are um, you are just down the road from me, aren't you? Yeah. Is this is this too too easy for me? I'm trying to think of what else I could add to the menu because it is dangerous dinners. So we do like to add things that are a little bit, a bit risky. Yeah, a little bit risky. But you know. For a bloke like me and you, a lot of this sounds quite nice. No, no, I don't think that's that dangerous, is it? I've also seen on here is a 10p scampi. Yeah. Let's get that. That's dangerous. So, kebabs is what it's landed on. Yeah. I've got two large doner kebabs. Yeah. And a box of scampi. <laughs> Christ. Just so, before. food's ordered. Um, I've got until the food turns up to really get to know you. Right. So, for people listening, they might know you from Eurovision, mm-hmm. I guess. But you've been writing music your whole life. So, as a, as a writer, your job is to help people find their sound or you're put in a room with someone and go, you need to create a song for Calvin Harris, for example. Yeah. Yeah, There's, I mean, there's so many different um, roles that you take on as a songwriter. Like... Like you say, like a lot of the time you like meet up with friends who are writers and you go like, oh, let's write a song for Calvin Harris. And then you send it to the DJ or whatever and they, and they cut it. Or you're in a room with someone, like I was working with Louis Tomlinson recently, um, and you're just kind of like working together and helping them, you know, like come up with ideas. And like, you know, if they've got, like, oh, I've got this concept and you're like, right, okay, how could we make it into something that, you know, that that's, that's cool and that's different and stuff. So... Um, yeah, there's so many different ways of, of writing songs and that, that's what I love about it. You know, it's kind of like nothing is the same every day. That's crazy. So you would go in a room and go without Calvin Harris asking, but you'd mm. go, okay, let's, Blue Sky Thinking, we want a Calvin Harris record today. Yeah. What do they sound like? What sort of lyrics have he used before? Yeah. Let's go down that line. Yeah, you're kind of like forcing people to... <laughs> take your music like DJs yeah. you're like you should do this song I've written this for you <laughs> yeah look please take it <laughs> but um, especially it's like listening to to people and pitching songs it's quite a difficult thing but also in America like a lot of people pitch songs to artists and um, you just kind of think like you said like you go like oh what have they done before what do you think they'd do next what do you think fits in with their sound Whatever, what's happening in, in the industry right now like on the radio and stuff so yeah. it's kind of like a bit of like a bit of a jigsaw of how you put things together and that you know like you want to get as many songs used as possible so you're like who, who do we want to write a song for like what kind of what is their vibe yeah but sometimes you're like you know you don't want to lose all <laughs> like love for it and you just write songs that you feel and I think a lot of the time thinking about it the songs that have been the most successful for me have been the songs that I just wanted to write you know you're singing from from the heart and like they're, they're the songs that connect with people um so it's a fine balance of like I think a lot of it's in the production as well and like a lot of songs I've sent to DJs like I did a song for Rudimental and Ed Sheeran that was literally just piano and vocal then Ed recorded it and then Rudimental produced it so you know there's loads of different ways of like pre- like presenting a song to people and some yeah. artists you know you present it all fully produced and stuff so. Do you know what I think is cool about songwriting especially in my job well not especially in my job but in most jobs you go to work and it's all about how much money you make that day, right? Mm. So if you work at a restaurant, you go and you come away with 80 quid. Yeah. But in songwriting, you get paid 
years before, right? You could get like a publishing deal yeah. for like £500,000 mm. and that's your money then for the next X amount of years. Until you get a hit to pay and, it back. Yeah, until then it starts <laughs> sort of paying that back, right? Yeah. But it's not your job to think about the money. Because I think it must be quite freeing to wake up and go, okay, I don't need to go out there and work today to make 150 quid to pay. I've already made that money. All I need to do is go out there and be creative. Yeah, I mean, there is that, yeah. Like, so you get your advance and then you... I'm really bad at budgeting, so I kind of screw myself <laughs> over every time. But, um, you know, you, you you get in your advance of your, 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 your royalties, your PRS, like your radio play and stuff. So there is that thing, you're like, right, I've got my money now, I can survive. But a lot of people work, you know, before they get signed, work for years, like writing songs. And then a lot of the time you are writing for free, you know, you're just writing songs. No one buys the song off you. Someone takes a song, gets played on the radio. Then a year later, you get paid for it. So it's, it's a kind of a crazy job. I always think, what is what even is my job? <laughs> it sounds fun though. Like the idea of going into a room and like Louis Tomlinson, for example. So you're helping on his, you, you worked with him recently. Mm-hmm. So you're working on his next album, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you go in a room with him and he goes, I have an idea. I want to talk about X. Yeah. And then you go, okay, let's go through some lyrics or is there a beat on? Like, how does it actually work? So, I mean, everyone's different, but you know, like a lot of the time, like if someone's like, I've got a concept, and you kind of you just sit there and you kind of flesh it out and like you know someone like Louis he knows what he wants to say so it's just kind of like being there with him and like kind of putting in ideas and kind of fleshing it out and then kind of recording it after but um the best thing about writing songs is you wake up every day and you every day you could change your life because you could go in a room one day like if we were going to write a song together we could write a song that became like number one American billboard song for like five weeks you don't know you're not you know every day you can write that song so it's like exciting you know like even days when you think oh i'm shit or like it's not working out or like i haven't had a hit for a while you could write that song that day yeah which i love about it that always gives you like as long as you keep that kind of attitude and that positivity you, you know the world is like it's all there for the taking so let's look at a record like Maybe like a Lewis Capaldi record. Yeah. If a record breaks America and it is like the sort of tune where you'd look back on 2020 and go, that was the hit of 2020. Yeah. How much do you think the songwriters make on that? A lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> like enough to buy a house in like Malibu kind of vibe. Really? I mean, I've never had one yet, but I just know that it's, I mean, it's life changing. So know, a hit could change your life. In America, a hit change your life. And because then, I mean, a hit here changes your life. I mean, my first hit, waiting all night for rudimental change of my life. I was working 50 hours in a restaurant and then I had a number one record on the radio the next week. And like, and then I got a rec- uh, publishing deal from that and that totally changed my life. So any hit will change your life. It just depends how much. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. So let's talk about that. So you were working in, what restaurant were you working in? It was called the Elk in the Woods in Camden Passage in Angel. And this was, you were a songwriter at this point, but it just wasn't paying the bills. Yeah, I was like, well, I, you know, I've moved to London, been here for like five years. Like, just wanted to get into the music industry. Wanted to be an artist, but then was writing other songs and stuff. And then my brother, we worked in a pub, first of all, called The Old Dairy in Finsbury Park. And then my brother came to London and moved into my place. And um, I went for an interview at The Old Dairy one day, just like to get a job. And I was cycling up the hill. And I nearly turned back, so I was like, I don't want to fucking cycle up this. <laughs> Not this every day. So I was like, fuck this. Um, but then I did, and I went there, and I got the job. And anyway, I met Piers from Rudimental's sister, Sophie, and we became friends. And my brother got a job in the pub, and then John and Piers became friends. And John moved in with Piers, and then John and Rudimental wrote Feel the Love, which then became, like, Rudimental's Man. massive song. Yeah, yeah. So then I was like, I need to write a song, like, as simple as that. So then I'm working in a restaurant in Camden Passage, and like came up with this idea called waiting all night, like in my head. And it was like, I've got a voice note of me sitting in my front room going, I've been waiting all night for you to... Anyway, I like worked on it. And then no I met way. my friend Ghostwriter, who was playing drums for my brother. It's kind of a long story, but you'll get there in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was playing drums for my brother. And I said to my brother, I need to meet like a producer. And John was like, oh, you should work with Johnny. You know, he's a sick producer. And he was working with like Foxes at the time, just doing her like debut stuff. And we went in, did a session, we wrote, wrote this really crap song to start off with called Firelight or something. Right. And then I go to him, I was like, oh, I've got this idea for 
a rudimental song like Feel the Love and he kind of laughed and went, oh, go on then play it to me. And I played him like the voice night and he was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So we put it together, sent it to rudimental to Piers and said, um, we've, you know, someone called the fire brigade because we're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and he replied and was like, oh yeah, cool. And then it took ages for them to, like six months or something, they didn't come back to us. And then when they did, they were like, oh, Ella's going to get on it. Ella Air. Ella Air jumped on it. Um, and then Piers let me know. And then I didn't think anything was going to happen. And then the, the night of the Brits, they were going to, Piers was like, oh, it's Zane Lowe's hottest record um, tomorrow night. And I was like, oh my God, like literally. Yeah. And I'm like, just at work in a restaurant. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be Zane Lowe's hottest record. It's the next thing. I was like, fuck. It's and, happening. And it happened. It came out. And then the next week it was midweek number one. And I'm like, still working in a restaurant. <laughs> wow. And like, then I finished my shift, went to do a meeting uh, Warner, Warner's or something publishing like while it was you know they're like what are you doing I was like oh well I work in a restaurant and like my song's number one on the radio can I have a publishing deal and then yeah. you know then the next week I signed and like left and then that was it you know no more restaurant work and just like, then I'm like work as a writer in the music industry like what the fuck is that's going insane on? isn't it so crazy it really is like mining for gold yeah totally you're just every day mining away and then you never know where you're going to hit that thing that yeah. will just get you that deal that changes everything absolutely madness like it totally changed my life like and it just felt like it just was there like you know I get why, as a songwriter, it's so important to be in London. Yeah, totally. To get down here and make the friends and be part of it and just be in the culture where you're meeting people. Like, you would yeah. never have met the Rudimental Boys. It is kind of right place, right time. Yeah, of course. Like, if I hadn't got that job in that pub, yeah. if I'd have turned around and been lazy, like, I wouldn't have met Sophie, I wouldn't have met Piers. My brother wouldn't... I was thinking... I say to my brother all the time, I'm like, I made your career because if I'd have turned around, you wouldn't have met him in that pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, whatever, James. I remember... <laughs> your brother John Newman talking about Zane Lowe yeah what was John's first tune what was the tune Feel the Love Feel the Love No I'll sing it's true what a great song I remember <laughs> Absolutely there's very few songs right that I remember where I first heard them yeah weirdly Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe I one mean of them. what a great song <laughs> it's an anthem man <laughs> where was that Scott Mills Radio 1 driving yeah. to Preston nice <laughs> Peugeot 207 Sport that I was driving come on brilliant Call Me Maybe came I remember that and I remember I remember Zane Lowe playing John's first song. Yeah. Um, I remember he played it three times in a row and I remember being absolutely blown away by it. Yeah, it was It was like so different, wasn't it? It was like drum and bass, I mean, soul music. It was such a different thing to what was happening. Like, it was just so cool. Yeah, I just, was the same. It was in my house. I had a, rented a flat in Crouch End and my brother came around and he played it to me. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, amazing. Talking about songwriting, yeah. is there a session you really remember? I guess you really remember where you came up with the rudimental track as you signed your deal and started working in the industry properly. Is there a really memorable session, whether it's like being with Calvin Harris or something like that? I think when I went to write with Jess Glynn on her last album, she hired like a big house in the countryside and like loads of people went down there, like a load of my friends and we spent a week writing songs. One of the songs we wrote was All I Am, which was mm -hmm. one of her singles. And I just remember that day, it was like kind of near the end of the camp and there was like me, Francis... And the other writers <laughs> and yeah. Jin Jin. Jin very famous because Jin Jin writes everything for Jess, right? She's yeah, very yeah. close so with Jess. Jin Jin kind of like helps Jess kind of develop herself and stuff like that. So yeah. Jin Jin's been with Jess from the start, which is amazing. Uh, and we just had this, re oh, Sebastian was one of the other guys. And we had this amazing day where it's like the song just appeared and we were all like, oh my God, this is sick. And Jin Jin was like, let's use the um, Kings of Tomorrow bass line. Do -do 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 you know, from um, Yes, I, yeah, yeah. And then, so we wrote All I Am over that. And I just remember it like being a beautiful day out in the countryside, all like nice people sitting around having drinks and coming up, like everything was like, yeah. It just yeah. worked. Yeah, yeah. And then it became, like, you know, it's Jesse's single. And I think there are loads of sessions that I've had where it's been really fun. Everyone's been sound. It's been really easy. I've always been like the most successful songs. Right. Have you been to Calvin Harris's house? No, I've never met him. John, John's mates with him, but I've never never been to his house. He's cut your songs? Yeah, so me and John wrote Blame on yeah. Christmas Day. <laughs> what? <laughs> in Tell the, me that story. So we'd like, John had rented a house in the Lake District and we took all the family. Lovely. And like I'd just cooked a massive roast. Uh, and finished eating over, and then I was like cleaning up, which was unfair because I just didn't know. <laughs> that is unfair, with, actually. And I'm just in the kitchen. I'm, anyway, John comes in with his laptop and he like opens it and he's that's vibing this idea. I was like, what's that? He goes, oh, I've been speaking to Calvin. He said, if you send me something good, like we can use it. 
And I was like, all right, <laughs> what is it? Yeah, let's say. And he started singing it. The washing up like, went down. Yeah, I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you need me to help you with that right yeah. now. So then we were playing together and then John sent it to Calvin and, and Calvin used it. So Wow. It was a good Christmas. That is a good Christmas. Yeah. You made good money that day. Yeah, next year, next Christmas was even better. <laughs> <laughs> is that how long it takes? 12 months for that? Yeah, to get it. To, I mean, it takes about a year for you to see your PRS. So. Right. So even if the song comes out quickly, you're not seeing that money for a long time. Yeah, because it's like, you know, it has to get collected. So if it gets played on the radio today, because you get paid four times a year yeah, by the royalty company. Um, so it'll take like a year for it to kind of come in. I like the fact your brother and Calvin Harris are good friends. One of my favourite songs, weirdly. Sorry to talk about John. Um, it's all right, it's my brother. I love him. He is your brother. <laughs> I love Ole. Oh my God, such an underrated song. Ole, Ole. you bring the sunlight to my day. <laughs> That's it. such a good song, man. I love that song. It's so good. I interviewed Calvin Harris backstage at Tea in the Park. Yeah. Just before that came out. And he said, like, he said, I've got this tune coming with John. I was like, oh my God, this is really exciting. And yeah. I thought it was a Calvin Harris tune, but it wasn't. It was a Calvin Harris production thing Yeah. for John, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I was like, that's so sick, John. And like, they went like, I don't know where they went, like Florida or something. By a pool, it was really cool. Yeah, like a yacht and stuff and yeah. jet skis. And, and it that. never did enough, that song, I don't think. No, it didn't. I think, I, I actually love that song. I totally forgot about that song. I actually love it. Great song, right? So good, yeah. It never did the bits that I thought it would. No. Um, how often do sessions go bad? Or how often do you walk away from it and just go, we just got nothing today? Um... I mean, every day is hit and miss, really. Like, literally hit and miss. Yeah. Sometimes you get hit, sometimes you don't. You know, some t- some days, like, there's no vibe. Like, some days, like, you've got to all be in, like, the right mood for it. Or, like, you'll hit hit on something at the start of the day. Or you won't. And, like, I, I, I used to, when I first started, like, try and slog it out all day and be like, we'll get some, we'll get some, we'll get some. And the more I learned and the more I realised learning from other people is, like, just because you don't have to write a song that day, it's fine. Don't make yourself feel like shit. Okay. Like, you know, like, if you've, like, slogged it out for, like, a few hours. Sometimes, though, it's like you keep going and you get something good. But, like, if you don't, don't beat yourself up. So you can always come back tomorrow. And, like, even if you've got a bit of an idea, you don't have to write a full song. You can just be like, oh, well, we've got a bit of a chorus. Let's leave it. Let's fresh ears it. Yeah. And then come back tomorrow. Fresh ears is a good way to get out of the session. Yeah, well. fresh. I, I think, guys, we should fresh give, ears this. I don't want to give this away because it's a bit, of a, a bit of a trick, but... Um, Tell us the trick. So if so, that's if you're the fresh ears trick, isn't it? If I'm in a session, I say fresh ears. Everyone's gonna know. <laughs> well, you've said it now, so yeah. it's out there. <laughs> if you're ever in a if you're in a uh, a session with James and he goes, guys, let's just fresh ears I this. Fresh it means ears. he wants to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it means he's really home for the session. I uh, always think fresh ears. No, but it really it, it, it does, does help. Of course, yeah, it does totally. Because if you like, it gets to like the end of the day and everyone's knackered. And you're like, let's just like not beat ourselves up. We've done yeah. really well today. Go on, listen to it tomorrow morning, and then you'll know. Then you'll know. Fresh yeah. ears it. Now, we got a lot of emails and a lot of messages over the last few weeks saying we don't talk about food enough on this show, which actually we've really fallen into that today. We haven't really spoken about food that much. Right. So I made a game called The Takeaway Game. Okay. It's really simple. Dinah Vickers was our first contestant on this last week. So you've got £20 to spend, yeah. but you need to go as close to your £20 as possible. Not a penny over, not a penny under. Right. Diana had the McDonald's menu. Oh. Tonight. You can't spend... I've tried so many times to spend 20 quid at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. And you go over every time, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. difficult. Yeah. Tonight, you get the Nando's menu. Oh, my God. James? Yeah. Off you go. Full chicken. Okay, hold on. What spice? It won't matter. Medium. Medium. Actually, sometimes I get hot. Anyway, just medium. Medium. All you've got there is no sides, whole chicken. Yeah. Okay. Shall I add, I'll add the sides. I'm going to get uh, some halloumi. Just so you know, this is not part of the deal. Right. This is a side, complete side order. The deal comes with the side, doesn't it? No. No, nothing's included. Nothing's included. Okay, cool. So, so these will be full price sides if you're getting them. So halloumi. Yep. Corn on the cob. Okay, hold on. I think Corn on the cob. Yeah. Yep. You got the halloumi. Regular or normal? Uh, regular. So there's the regular corn on the cob and you want regular halloumi. Yeah. So just so you know, at this point, to get halloumi, I'm going to have to add it as a starter. That's fine. Which is the halloumi sticks and dip. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I love how serious we're being about Nando's. It's this is brilliant. A really important <laughs> game. So far in the order, you've got a whole chicken, corn on the cob, halloumi sticks and dip. Yeah. 
uh, chips. Oh, for Americans, that's fries. Yes, <laughs> that is good. <laughs> the American listeners. We just, by the way, actually, we found out today we are in the top 200 podcasts in America. Amazing. Thanks. So yeah, fries. <laughs> Congratulations, fries, that's We great. found that out today. Hi, everyone in America. I left a meeting and I got told that. That's amazing. Um, Perry fries, yeah? Yeah, Perry fries. Regular. I might get large just so I can get up there because I feel like... Yeah. And then what else? You got 20 quid to spend. I feel like I'm nowhere near it. Maybe I'll get two cooks. Uh, Hold on, drinks. Get you... Okay, Coke Zero. Yeah, two of them. Get you two Coke Zeros. Yep. Uh, and then a bottle of the garlic Perry. Perry. It's like a quid or something. Yeah, hold on. I feel like maybe I should get two fries. Hold on, the garlic Perry Perry sauce in the little bottle, yeah? Yeah. Yeah? I feel like I should get two fries and then add a Perry Perry chicken burger. Okay. And so then gonna, I feel like that I'm going to add one side. Okay, the other fries. Do you want it regular or normal? Regular. And a Perry Perry chicken burger. Perry Perry... Actually, I might just take one of the fries off thinking about it. I feel like I might have overshot the mark a bit, yeah. These are quite hard, the Perry chicken burgers, because I've had someone say this before. What about a wrap then? Okay, yeah, I can get you a wrap. I can get you a double chicken wrap. Double chicken wrap on its own and take one of the cokes off. Okay, James, the game was to get 20 quid at Nando's as close to as possible to confirm you want a whole chicken, you want a corn on the cob, Mm -hmm. you want halloumi sticks and dip, yeah. You want a Perry salted chips. Mm-hmm. You want two Coke Zeros. You want a garlic Perry Perry sauce. <laughs> and you want a double chicken wrap. I think I've gone a bit overboard. Yeah? Have I, am I allowed to change anything? Yeah, you can change stuff. We Take can... one of the Cokes off. Okay. Please. I've taken one of the Cokes off. Are you locking it in? Lock it in. <laughs> James Newman, thank you so much. So, in the takeaway game, the closest we've had so far, we've only had one other person, was Diana Vickers. She was four pound something off. James, in your Nando's order, the order total, your order t- total <laughs> is 43 pounds. <laughs> 33 pence. <laughs> You are £23 oh my and God, 33 <laughs> higher than we were looking for. <laughs> There's a man of the people, everybody. Oops. There's a man that knows. <laughs> okay, good. I really thought I was on for it there. I don't know where... I, I think... I, the whole chicken was 16 quid, man. It's gone up. I had an endos for a bit. Oh, really let myself down. That was so tense. You know, it's a little that's, bit underdone, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the worst possible way to have scampi. Yeah. I think this is one of the reasons why I got into music. <laughs> <laughs> Mum, I've made it. Yeah, I'm sitting having a dollar kebab. And this is technically work. Yeah, this is this is my job right now. Oh my god. <laughs> How good does the kebab look? Dirty, dirty. It's it's just meat and bread. 
Just meat and bread. Come on. This sometimes happens though when I get a kebab ordered to me. I've made this. I've made this. Not a mistake because I'm happy about this. But it happens a lot where you order a kebab and they don't give you any sauce or any. The dangerous thing. I mean, this is dangerous to see. Have a drink. Want some Nando sauce on that? Yes. <laughs> My review of this is the meat is just cooked well. Yeah. It's got that kind of feeling of it's like heavily gilt flavored. It's yeah. proper greasy, isn't it? Yeah, gr- guilty grease here. Nice. Real nice. I'm going to have my first proper taste. It's greasy on my hands, which is always a good thing. I got a bit of Nando sauce on there. What I always love is when they put the bread underneath and the grease from the... It soaks into the bread. Yeah. So then you've just got this greasy pitter underneath. There's a man that knows. <laughs> We need to talk about Eurovision. As soon as I spoke about you coming on the podcast, yeah, and I said this when you turned up tonight, this has been the episode that I've been most excited about because mm-hmm. I cannot wait to talk about this. So you were selected as the 2020-2021 Eurovision contestant from the UK. Yeah. I guess my first question is, why did you want to do it? So I've been lucky enough to write for other people for like eight years now. Um, but the reason I got into music was to be a singer, to be an artist. And a bit ago, well, before I got chosen to be the, the UK entry, I was going through songs with my wife, Cleo. She's a songwriter as well. Like for my own artist thing, thinking, oh, what could I do? Like, I just really want to put out some music of my own. And I found a few songs that really kind of felt like they were right for me. And uh, anyway, so I got like a little record deal with BMG Records. To do an artist project. To do an artist road. project, yeah, yeah. And then randomly... My A&R, Jamie, rang me up one morning and was like, hey, James. I was like, hey, Jamie, you all right? He goes, uh, a bit of a random question, but would you be up for doing Eurovision? And I was like, what? Oh, my God. Never even thought about doing it, you know? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, of course. he was like, you know, 180 million people watch it. Like, what better way to launch your artist career and have an amazing experience? I was like, yeah, sick. And... So many amazing artists have launched their career from Eurovision and like the exposure and like mm-hmm. getting to do things like this, like have a kebab <laughs> doing a podcast. This know? is why we did it, guys. <laughs> yeah, this to is get like, on the Dangerous Dinners yeah, podcast. Blue Peter badge and Dangerous Dinners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that on the website because I, yeah. I. So, I mean, you know, like the the opportunity to, to do this amazing thing and to like, you know, as a songwriter, I'd written a song for the Irish entry in 2017. Uh, for Eurovision but the opportunity to be the actual singer and to do this crazy thing I was like why would I not do that you know mm. like I've done so many things as a writer and I feel like I've achieved loads as a writer that I think t- to be a singer and to go and do that and you know perform in front of all them people was just too much of a good thing so it's just a no-brainer yeah totally I feel like I want to go through all of this from the start yeah originally pre-covid mm-hmm. you would have been 2020 mm-hmm and that got cancelled because of COVID. Yeah. When did you find out about that? I found out, I think it was like, was it like March 2020? When it, it was, all started When it was hit. all like really kicking off. Yeah. And like Glastonbury got cancelled and Eurovision was still going ahead. And I was like, there's no way that's going to keep going. Yeah. We were driving through Muswell Hill actually going to Tesco's for mm. like an apocalyptic um, toilet roll run. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I remember those. They were yeah. great. <laughs> and uh, I just saw the email pop up on my phone. And so I pulled over and opened it and it was like, yeah, it's cancelled. They're about to announce it. And I, was, I knew it was going to happen, but I was also so gutted because all the work we'd put in and like, you know, it, I'd already begun that journey and like I was so excited to go... Yeah, and they were like, it's cancelled. And then I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I was going to say, did you know that you would still get to be the guy? No, they didn't say anything at first. They were like, it's not it's not happening this year. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, we're just going to see what happens. Really. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's my chance gone, really, like, to kind of go there. And then they were like, oh, the artist can re-enter next year with a different song. And I was like, oh, my God. So I rang uh, Lee from the BBC straight away. I was like, if you want me to do it, I'd love to do it. So the BBC came to your agent, I suppose. To my label. So they chose... So usually they did like... Um, they used to do like a show where they chose... Yeah. Like the public voted. That's not a thing now though, right? No, they wanted to... So the Netherlands in like 2013 or something used to do that and then they changed it and a record label like chose the artist or whatever. Right, okay. So they did it differently. BMG won the bid to become the label. Right. 
that worked with the BBC. Right. And I'd just signed to BMG, so it was like all the stars had aligned. Got you. So obviously, like, I'd, I was doing it, and then I rung Lee from the BBC and said, if you want me to do it again next year, I'd love to. And they were like, yeah, well, <clears throat> they had to, like, work out if they were still going to do it with BMG, and it all worked out. Yeah. And then I found out in summer that they wanted me to do it, so I was, you know, buzzing. So the original show falls apart because of COVID. Yeah. You decide you still want to do it. But mm. what I find crazy mm. is that you weren't allowed to use your first song, right? Mm. Which was... My Last Breath. My Last Breath. breath. Yeah. Which was an anthem. Yeah. I don't understand why that wasn't allowed to go ahead as the tune for this year. They said everyone had to do a new song. But also, I kind of when I got to this year, I was like, if, if I'd have been like promoting that song for the whole year yeah and then going again and like telling the same story about it it was it's fun to, you know you needed something like exciting to to announce yes i'm doing it again and this is the song this is a different song yeah because that's what everyone looks forward to you know hearing what song is going to represent their country in a massive competition so i was really glad about that and also like we've been through such crazy time i would have wanted to do something more like embers that i did this time like more of a fun song for me okay. anyway you know perform and do something that was more upbeat and uplifting and like kind of moved on from where where i was as, as an artist and where we were in a, as a world as a country yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense yeah you had to do something that represented i guess mm. how things had changed this is a rumor that i'd heard yeah and this may not be true probably is, it is. right that you only got like a day or a week to come up with embers because it was so tight with the lockdowns and stuff, I was writing kind of on Zoom. I was doing loads of sessions on Zoom, but I really wanted to write the song in real life. So there was like a time just before the last lockdown, it's like November. <clears throat> so we got into, there's a place in North London called Tile Yard Studios, like where loads of, like Sigala works there. So. Mm, Sigala's hometown. Yeah. So we did like a, a, a writing week. It was all COVID safe and everyone did tests every day. And we had like loads of different rooms happening throughout the week and... I had like 10 songs at the end of the week and Embers was one of them. And I kind of wanted to get it just before Christmas because I knew we were going into lockdown. And I was like, I want to come in, into the new year with the song. Yeah. And luckily Embers was, was that song. And like, it just felt so right to me because it was about people coming back together. Like, just because you're apart doesn't mean the fire's burnt out. The love and the passion's still there. So that it felt right to me. And I was like, hopefully by the time May comes, I'm stood on a stage singing a song about people coming back together and coming out of the darkness and... Re- relighting that passion and stuff like that so t- it was just like a no a no-brainer to be like yes let's do that song so i can see you want some donna kebab don't you yeah i do i also want another bit of scampi <laughs> get some scampi man get up on that scampi that's really doing i mean it's gotta be though it's, it's this be is the whole point of the podcast you're doubling down on the scampi mm. which i think is great um question do you think that the lack of time to write the song affected the song in any way or do you think when 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 you stood on that stage and sang that song you were like this is the best i could have done i was so happy i think we came with the best song that we could have done like it represented me as a person represented i think you know like if you listen to the charts well still now you know like everything's like dance bass yeah yeah the producers i did it with tom and sam they're in like bill and ted Oh, wow. And then just done like Wellerman and stuff like so, that. So, yeah, Bill and Ted are the guys who've worked with Gracie quite a lot, who's been on the show. Yeah. They did Wellerman. Yeah. Soon, May, the Wellerman. Yeah. And and the other writers, Connor, he'd done all the Medusa stuff. So, it felt like, you know, we're writing a song that represented the UK. Yeah. So, I, I was really happy with it. I mean, you never know, do you? You never know what people are going to connect to. That's no, the thing about not. writing songs, where you put a, put a song out and you don't know if anyone's going to connect to it at all, so... And how did it feel going into the weekend? Where was your head at? In Rotterdam. Yeah. I mean, it was mental. Because I could got there 10 days before. And you'd had to quarantine in the UK and stay away from everyone for a while, right? To get yeah. so COVID to, safe. I was went to quarantine for five days before it. But I was like, I'm going to put myself into a longer quarantine because I didn't want to get COVID and not be able to go. That'd be rubbish for everyone. Like so many people involved had worked so hard. I was like, I'm not going to like mess it up for for everyone. <laughs> so like I was at home, like everyone was going back to the pub and I'm at home like, yay. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Rod to Rotterdam, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when, when we got there, we got off the plane, got tested in this huge like testing tent, proper like 28 days later vibes. Yeah. And uh, and then we went straight to the arena and, and like did my first rehearsal. So what day was the what day was Eurovision? Was that Saturday? It was a Saturday. So we got there the Thursday 
week before. Before, wow. And then we did like loads of rehearsals. And then the rehearsals towards the end were like with a full audience, which was amazing. That's insane. So, so like, they got people in just to watch the run-throughs? Yeah, yeah. Like the grand final rehearsal on the Saturday morning was like a Saturday matinee vibe with a right. full audience, full run-through and everything. Wow. And on the Friday night, so the Friday night was a full run-through, like where we even went into the, you know, after you've performed, you go and sit in your booth and stuff. And like, you had like a, an ice bucket. With drinks On in. the table, but it only had water in. Boring. <laughs> but I was like, we're re- literally rehearsing a night out. Like Amazing. there's just like bottles of sparkling water, like popping them like. <laughs> so yeah, it was like, everything was, you know, we'd done so many rehearsals. So by the time I got to, actually on Saturday morning when I was in my hotel room, I love this song called, well, it's Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yeah. But Aretha Franklin's version. Okay. It's like one of my favourite songs in the world. And I was listening to it just as I got out of the shower, so I was, I was naked. It's a good look. <laughs> and I'm listening to Aretha Franklin. And one of the lyrics in it that I'd never heard before, it was like, it's your time, your time has come, your time to shine. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and, <laughs> Nick. It's my time. just burst out in tears. <laughs> no way. And I was like, I mean, if I was fully clothed, it wouldn't have been as weird, but it's just because... <laughs> I was like, stood there and I was like, that lyric and that song that I love so much. And I was thinking, this is like the, this one is of the biggest time, days right? of my life. Yeah. So yeah, it was such, such an overwhelming experience. So amazing. Like I learned so much, got to do so many things that I would never been able to do if I didn't do it. And it was yeah. just like everything I loved so much. Like, What were your honest expectations going into that show about what could be achieved? Because... I think two years ago, mm. if we'd sat down as mates and yeah. before you were the UK's entrance, we both would have said, I think that it's pretty much nothing to do with the music. It's quite political. Or did you not have that going into this? I was like, whatever peop- whatever it is or whatever, I was like, I think, you know, it's a song competition and it's about the music and it's about putting in something, you know, just doing your best effort. And that's what I've always thought the whole way through. Yeah. And I still think that. And I think, you know, like I said before, music connects with people sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. If you look at the people that kind of came, the people that won the band, the Italian band, yeah, the totally Italians. different to what I was doing. Completely. So like people connected with that on the night and it's like... All along, I was like, if I can come from the middle of the Yorkshire Dales and stand on stage and represent my country, Which why, is can't, amazing. why can't I do well? But I was like, even if I don't, I don't care because I've had such a good time. I mean, I've got so many amazing, lovely fans from the whole experience. I've got to meet so many of these great people that have supported me that like, you've got, you just got to look at the positives. Like, you know, like whatever the result was, like it just wasn't my night and it wasn't <clears throat> our time or whatever. Yeah, but I hope, what I'm trying to say is, I hope you don't blame you or the song or your ability. I don't, no, I, it, I mean, I it, never would because there's so many other people involved in it. I would never blame it on us. I just think you can't change what people connect with. You can't yeah, sure. change, like it's not, it's out of my control. The only, like I, I got a boxing trainer like leading up to Rotterdam and he no was saying. way. And he's boxed for like Team GB, he's called Ryan. Picard and he's like boxed with Team G- GB and he's trained other fighters that have boxed for the country and stuff and he was saying every time he steps in the ring he knows that he's trained as hard as he can and, and has, he's done everything possible to be the best that he can when he steps in that ring so whatever happens in the ring it doesn't matter because he knows that he's done his best and I did exactly the same thing leading up to Eurovision I, you know I didn't drink I didn't smoke <laughs> um, I ate healthy I trained every day I did singing lessons every day like when I walked on that stage, I knew that I couldn't have done any better. So like, it was all out of my control when I got there, if you know what I mean. In terms of the voting, it felt very anti-UK, right? Obviously, nil point, mm. which is crazy. How did it feel in the room? Was it not like that? It didn't feel like that at all. Like the yeah. whole crowd was like behind me. Yeah. Like when they said we got nil point, the whole crowd went, and I was quite drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm Let me caveat this was I was yeah. wasted. I was wasted. They, we, they kept topping up the drinks on our table more than everyone else. I think they came back like five times. And we would, we were having such a good night. And like when they said nil point and I, I kind of went, Way! and then the whole crowd like responded. Yeah. And I, so I just stood up and sprayed my beer. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, eh. and, and like, I was thinking, what a feeling because I performed to them people. And then of course, people, man. Then people had a great night. So that's what, you know, that's what being a singer and entertaining people is about. Isn't it? Yeah. So what can you do? I was also drunk and I was so happy with how you dealt with it. Thank you very much. I was just like, this is the most British response to this 
ever. This is the most English thing you could do. I'd like to say Northern. Nor- yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> Being t- you're a bloke from Yorkshire, I'm from Lancashire. It was, yeah. a, it was a very Northern response to this, <laughs> where I was like, this guy is just happy to be here, yeah. living his dream, and what does it matter, man? Yeah, what is, what, really, what does it matter? I mean, I had such a good time. Yeah. And then I came back and my song was like number one on iTunes chart. Then yeah. Chris Martin called me on the Monday morning. I wrote this down to ask and I've actually forgotten to ask it, which is insane. Yeah. Chris Martin from Coldplay mm-hmm. reached out to you. What a guy. Tell me that whole story. What a hero. I mean, so I woke up on Monday morning. So the show's on Saturday night. Yeah, came home Sunday. Yeah. Then Monday morning at home in quarantine. Like, wow, what's just happened to me? Woke up, text from a manager. Chris from Coldplay wants to get in touch with you. And I was like, what? Like, I went to uni and I used to, like, Coldplay's first album, Parachutes. Yeah. Like, I just love, I love Chris. I love Cold. I think Coldplay are unreal. He's like, it's like a call from the gods. Yeah, I had like a voice note. And it was like, hey, James, Chris. And he just said, oh, let me know when's a good time to get in touch with you. So hold on. I think, I don't think you'll mind me saying this because I think it was such a nice thing to do that I feel like I should tell people about it. Yeah, of course, man. I think so. If Chris Martin does something like that, he knows it's going to have a reaction. Yeah, because it made me feel so good. So he texts you saying, hey, man, it's Chris. Let me know when's a good time to call. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I'm just... Just getting up, like obviously did my hair. Yeah, of course. Like, sorted my face out a bit. Yeah. And then and then he FaceTimed me and he was like, you know, I just we watched your performance, we thought you were great, don't take the results too seriously. You know, it was an amazing performance. And I was like, Oh my god. And he's so sound and I was like, he asked to get my number to tell me that and I thought, what a nice thing to do. Yeah. Like I just love the fact that he's in such a position where he can you know, like he, he knew I was maybe feeling a bit rubbish. Or a bit deflated, and he just made my day. So hold on, in your phone right now is Chris Martin's number. Yeah. Does he WhatsApp? Have you what? Did he what? In fact, how did he message you? It was WhatsApp, right? No, it was text. I mean, I don't. He like... I messaged you. Yeah. Old school. But I think you know, like what a guy. He didn't have to do that, and like it really made meant a lot to me because I respect him so much as an artist and as a writer. It's like, would you want to work with him? Is that something that could now happen? Do you think? I mean, I'd love to write with him, but I don't want to like. Take the piss. Yeah. <laughs> is that something... I is, think you just got to, like, take them things as, like, that was so nice. I don't want to then be like, hey, Chris. Hey, can I write with you? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, like, he doesn't need me. But um, he did say to me, like, oh, you write for other people, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've written for, like, Calvin <laughs> you know. I got some songs. Yeah, yeah. Got a few songs. But I think there's moments like that where you just, you put aside the fact that you're a songwriter or whatever and you just take that moment as, like, that's such a nice thing for someone like him to do. Yeah. And don't use it as, like, a, an opportunity to... Yeah, I'd struggle not to use it as an opportunity. I assume you mean. <laughs> um, he's the coolest man. I saw him at the, the Etihad in Manchester. Amazing. Man City Stadium. I am a fan. Uh, I saw him <laughs> there and just the performance was just something special mm. that will always stick with me. That I think it was like the Milo Zylato tour or something like mm. that. And the colours, it was just off the charts. Yeah. Unbelievable. I saw him do... I was working as a steward in Newcastle Arena and luckily that day I was stood in the, like the main crowd Yeah, and watched him sing fix you and like i always but the fact that he facetimed me and thinking about that moment i was stood in the crowd as a steward getting paid two pound fifty an hour or something yeah it's crazy funny how it all you said you felt deflated after it did you feel deflated a little bit deflated not because of the result or anything just because i'd been living this crazy life and then the next thing i'm like back at home watching four in a bed (laughs) (laughs) and i was like whoa were you worried how people would perceive you when you were back was that a thought Mm, well the response straight away from everyone back at home and everyone was so nice that i wasn't that worried also like you know what can you do (laughs) but i was kind of a bit like what will be will be i got home and everyone's been so positive and like that's the whole vibe that i wanted to create like positivity you know like so talk me through before we move on from this talk me through the night so you go and perform you're yeah. wa- I, mean, I mean waiting to perform yeah. I, I remember when i knew you were like 20 something right i just thought how scared you must be up and like waiting to go on stage that must mm. just be like terrifying proper tense the whole day because we did uh, the run through in the morning of the whole show and then we had like a seven hour break back to the hotel room no stayed in the arena <laughs> so you're like in your in your dressing room Maybe about as big as this room, but yeah. like loads of people yeah. from your whole delegation and like my vocal coach telling me to shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> He's not allowed to talk. <laughs> Sorry, I do. 
Which helped though, because I would have lost my voice. Really? I'm a bit of a gobby northerner when I get Sure. Yeah, so we're there all all day really, and the tension's building. But the the, the buzz was amazing because everyone's in the these like kind of partitioned rooms, so you can hear everything that's going on. It's like, oh, and like you know, no everyone warm ups. So yeah, and then like it got to like the actual start of the show, and there was a big screen backstage, and like the the sound that I remember is like, dun 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 dun, just before. It started singing and it kept going every time and it just kept putting me back in this place. But the buzz, yeah, and then you're kind of going through all these sections, like a kind of weird fairground ride, because you're all like in a row. The artist in front of me was, so we were like studying one bit, getting our uh, in-ears put in. Yeah. All in a box, like I was number one in number one box, then number two was Annie, and then the dancers were in three, four and five or whatever. And then you'd move around and the artist in front of you would move into the next section behind yeah. the curtain. You know, it was like, oh, it's kind of like, like kind of like a production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a factory production. Yeah. And it just got closer and closer to you. Yeah, and then, and then you stood side of stage and it's like, you see the audience, you, you, the smell and everything. It's like, and then you step on stage and like, right, this is it. This is the performance. The thing is, I always think with stuff like this, it would be the TV audience that would scare you. But in the room, I guess you don't even regard that, right? You just see the people in front of you and that's who you're performing to. The first time I didn't feel that alone on stage, which is weird, was the grand final because I knew all my friends and family were looking. Like, if I looked down the camera, I could. I knew I was looking at my mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> kind yeah, of thing, yeah. which was such a nice feeling. Just before I started singing, the lights were on me and they were playing that postcard thing that I did mm-hmm. where I'm like sniffing some eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on a beach or something. Yeah, but it was like a green screen thing. I remember doing it. I couldn't like take myself seriously. Like, yeah. And uh, the lights were on me and I was going like, and the whole crowd was going, and I was like, come on. Amazing. And then I had to like focus and start singing the song, but... Mad times. Now, we've got another food-based game to play Go on. at this point. Uh, so this is the food section. Play the jingle. Food. It's the food section. Food. Oh, here we are. Welcome to the food <laughs> section. So you've been sentenced to the death penalty. Right. Unfortunately, oh. James. And I need to know your final meal choice. Oh, what a question. Starter, main and dessert. What is it you're having? Oh my God, this is a big question. So hard. You can have home cooked food. You can have meals from restaurants. Yeah. You can have whatever. From a starter, I would have, um, there's this restaurant in LA. Well, it's like a small restaurant, like a, a Japanese cafe that's a branch off from Katsuya. It's called Isakaya. Right. Um, and they do this like popcorn shrimp. It's like battered shrimps and it's like sriracha mayonnaise with like a kind of shozu dip on the side. Wow. I think I'd have that as a starter. Better than tonight's shrimp? No, obviously not. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard it. to imagine. <laughs> um, and then for a man, I would have a lamb sama beite, which is a Turkish dish. So this is the first time we've had a guest who says a dish. I have no idea what those words mean. Really? You so need to lamb? get one. Let's go and get one soon. Yeah, tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so a lamb sama beti. Yeah, so it's a Turkish dish. Um, like this, around here, there's loads of Turkish restaurants. A lot of Turkish round, like wood love. green area. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of my favourite cuisines. And it's like kof- lamb kofta wrapped in really nice thin bread, then like dipped in butter, grilled on the grill, and then they put it in... Oh no, it's got a tom- oh, so it's kofta and tomato sauce on the bread, yeah. wrapped up, then dipped in butter, then grilled, then chopped up, then served with like um, bulgur wheat, tomatoey bulgur wheat, and more tomato sauce and like a tomatoey paste and a yogurt. Wow, it's just so nice because it's all like greasy and buttery and oh my god, meaty and like tomatoey. So you got like that proper umami, yeah, vibe. And then dessert, Go on. stick it off your foot in. Yes! <laughs> so many people say it and it's such a good order. From Cartmel. Yeah, from Cartmel, where we talked about earlier. Yeah. Because you're also a fan of Long Clume, like I am. I am. And Cartmel's famous for its sticky toffee pudding. Cartmel is the home of sticky toffee pudding. Good order. Thanks. Very good order. What are you drinking with it? You're a wine guy. I feel like you're a wine guy. I am a wine guy. Red wine, I imagine. I do like red wine, yeah. Californian Pinot Noir or... A nice sparkling dry rose. Uh, oh, chapel down. 
Yeah, great. In Kent. So Chapel Down is a is a vineyard in the UK in Kent that specialises in white and sparkling wine. Yeah. Question two in the food section. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite restaurant in the whole world? If you want to say the L word, you can say the L word. It is, isn't it? It we is. Talked about it we spoke about it earlier. It's called Long Clume. Yeah. It is the best meal I've ever had. Someone asked me the other day, what's the best meal you've ever had? And I was like, Long Clume. So for people that don't know, Long Clume is a Simon Rogan restaurant. Tom Barnes, who was on the show a few weeks ago, used to be the head chef of that restaurant. It's a tasting menu. It's all British food. And it's in the north. And it's in the north. Yeah, I think you just, I mean, you can't not, that can't be, that's got to be my favourite restaurant. Um, final question in the food section. You're on a motorway. Yeah. You're heading back to Yorkshire. Yeah. You've got to pull off and you've got to get a meal deal. Right. What meal deal are you getting? What or what chain are you going to? Are we talking Sainsbury's, Tesco? M&S. Do they do a meal deal? Yeah, I think so. Um, actually, no, I'd probably get a Tesco's, like ch- chicken mayo. Yeah. Roast chicken mayo. Good. Bag of skips. <laughs> oh, skips. And a, and a bottle of Coke. Cause oh. I'm, you know, I'm just going for it. The old skippies. Yeah, you can't beat skips. Full fat Coke? Full fat Coke. Cause wow. Sugar. I know. Sugar. It's bad, that, isn't it? But... That was the food section of the podcast. Great answers. <laughs> really Thank you. good. Thank you very much. Um, now, before you go, yeah. I just want to talk about post-Eurovision. The last I heard, you were number five in the UK. Yeah. That's insane. Big top 40, number five. So happy. That's, I can't believe it. That's so cool. Just thank you to everyone that helped me get there. You know, like, just, it was such a nice thing to come home to and have that, you know. I didn't expect that, and, it, and I got that, and I was like, wow. You know, people do like my music. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, it, I think it was the most British response to what happened. Ooh. It was like a, screw you, Full this support. is our boy, hmm. we support him, we're going to send him to top five. Everyone like, made me feel so good. It's such a nice thing to come home to, and like, you know, that's what more could you ask for? Do you get stopped in the street now? Well, someone noticed me in Crouch End the other day. Really? And my, Well, I was actually in the shop and my friend was stood outside and he said, um, someone went past and went, oh my God, that's James Newman. And oh my God, that's wanted. James Newman. And what all of people wanted to do is get recognised in Crouch End. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened. Yeah. What a moment. What a moment, yeah. Bar that, has anything changed or is it all still quite the same? No, everything's everything's great, you know, just back to... Back to normal life which is great I mean Amazing. I went back to Yorkshire last week and I sang I went to the primary school because they sent me this really nice video before Eurovision of all the kids dancing and stuff so I went back to the primary school and like sang in front of all the kids in the in the playground which is more scary than singing <laughs> Eurovision because they're all just stood there like who is this guy who is this guy <laughs> and they'll be big critics yeah they were but it was amazing so, so doing things like that was lovely so what's the plan is it artist project um, or is it back to writing for the people and is that your happy space? I think a bit of everything really. I think I'm just going to like just go and write songs again and you know see what happens. I think I'm just going to chill like take a break from Eurovision and stuff like that and like see what opportunities come my way. If, if I get offered to go on Strictly I'll, I'll go on Strictly. Yes! <laughs> of course you will. Which you will. You'll get those offers right? I definitely I mean I was thinking about someone asked me the other day what I'd if I was going to go on telly again, what would I do? I'm a celeb? I don't think I could do that. Okay. I'm scared of spiders. Right. I love camping. I love the outdoors. But I don't love cockroaches being poured all over my face. Why don't me and you team up and go on I'm a celeb? Let's I do- would love that. Would you, yeah, but would you do the... I would do... It's the only show that I would do. That and SAS Who Dares Wins. Those are my That's shows. the one. I would love to go on that. I just need to do a bit of fitness before. Yeah. <laughs> I told my mum the other week, because I told her about these shows the other week, but my mum the other week about SAS Who Dares Wins and she said, you would die. <laughs> Thanks, mum. <laughs> Thanks, mum. Thanks for the support. Really helpful. I would love to go on that. I think that would be, be life-changing, wouldn't it? To yeah. Right, James, that was the Daily Routine's podcast. Yes. Um, tonight we had Scampi and we had Donna Kebab. Uh, James With no Beef. salad. No salad. Just Nando sauce from the fridge. Three bottles of wine. James, please rate the food. What, out of 10? Out of 10. I mean, for me, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 on the Donna scale. But the Scampi, what a great side. <laughs> Lovely side. <laughs> who needs salad? I would never... I mean, that is, that is a dangerous meal. Look who, at it. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen. 
Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. This is one that I've been genuinely really excited for. Good that you turned up this time. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. James Newman, thank you. Thank you very much. I've had a great time. Cold food, but hot guests. It's the Dangerous Dinners Podcast. Oh, oh, oh. thanks, James. Oof. I'll be honest, normally, right, with these podcasts, I don't actually edit them that much. I just sort of um, dot the I's and cross the T's, as they say. Uh, this time I did a little bit of editing because it was like two hours. No one needs to listen to me and James ramble on for two hours over three bottles of white wine, do they? Uh, what's fun, though, is because this podcast is actually very much becoming what I thought it would be, which is people coming over to my house and me getting drunk. So very good. If you enjoy the podcast, scroll down, give it a rating, a review. Five stars would be very grateful. And we will see you same time next time for another episode of the Dangerous Dinners podcast. 